A lot of athletes who have gone vegan, they see a lot of benefits, but a lot of it is just that they've had to learn to eat again kind of thing. They've had to really consciously change their diet and work with a specialist to totally reassess everything that they've been doing because they have, you know, things that they're used to, like habits that they've had since they were a little kid. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. My name is Alan McCubbin, I'm an accredited sports dietitian, lecturer and researcher in sports nutrition at Monash University in Melbourne and I'm joined as always by my colleague, fellow sports dietitian and researcher Steph Gaskell. How are things with you Steph? Things are good, our things are good. Um, What's been happening, I'm getting closer and closer, so close to... um, finishing recruiting everyone for PhD. So then the fun time comes with writing. Um, so, yeah, so that's exciting. Um, Have you got an end date when you finish your data collection? Uh, well, yeah, ho- well, hopefully, no, like, what's that? We're October now, so mid, mid-November. mid Yeah, nice. About mm. six, six weeks away. Yeah, not, not far. So, mm. yeah, did my last... Um, all going well. My last VO2 max um, test today on the on the last participant. So awesome. Um, if it, all going well, uh, that will be yeah exciting times. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you got and, a um, presentation this week at the Sports Dietitians Australia conference. Yes, yes, uh, we do. Looking forward to that. So that one's on on Friday, um, which we're going to kind of try and make sure I get to that on time after I've got a study participant on the on the Friday um, <laughs> but you you're also you've also got um, uh, a presentation there as well yeah yeah mine's uh, mine's poster so it's not uh, not too much to do but uh, yes yeah, looking at uh, we talked about it in one of the previous episodes around sort of mathematically modeling sodium requirements so uh, looking at that from a practical perspective and looking at the sodium needs of soccer players, marathon runners, and then ultra marathon runners as a bit of a contrast across three kind of different sports that are fairly common and, you know, a variety of sort of durations and exercise intensities and sweat rates uh, to have a look at, um, yeah, what the, what the mathematical modelling shows us. And, and what's your presentation on? Yeah, um, so mine was um, back when we I did the my honours, um, we, we looked at the impact of FODMAP on, um, you know, on a range of factors in terms of gastrointestinal health. Um, and yeah, one of those was where we, um, we took the, the stool, um, from our participants and yeah, uh, fun stuff. And then anyway, um, have been able to, I guess, uh, yeah, analyze and assess that along with the, um, the plasma and um, and have a look at the type of uh, short chain fatty acid composition um, in in the participants. So comparing um, the participants that were on low FODMAP versus high FODMAP and the change in um, the the short fatty acid um, composition. So yeah, that we'll talk about that on Friday and then yeah maybe coming up in a couple episodes we can then talk about what the conclusion was mm, yeah absolutely for sure 
Um, so yeah, it'd be good to do a bit of a recap on the um, the SDA conference, maybe next week or the week after, and just what are some of the highlights, things we found mm. the most interesting. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, here on the Long Munch, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists, and triathletes ask. Uh, sort of stuff that often is debated round and round in circles. Often. Uh, or people are going to Dr. Google uh, and researching all sorts of weird and wonderful things, sometimes good, sometimes bad, sometimes maybe a bit ugly. Um, but we'll tackle those different questions, break them down, and invite a guest expert in our A episode and an athlete in the B episode to provide their perspective around the particular question. And today it's episode 22B, so it's our athlete episode today, and it's a follow-up from last week's conversation with Greg Cox. Today we've got um, our guest Katrina Bissett, who's an 800-metre runner, to discuss the question, is plant-based better? So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from Katrina really soon. But before we do that, Steph, we have some social media shout-outs, or only mm. one this week. Yeah, yep. Um, so we had a uh, Nikki, uh, is, is it Nikki Hell Yeah? Or well, that's, that's the Instagram handle. Yeah, Nikki Hell yeah. yeah, I like it. Yeah, I like it too. Um, so Hell Yeah, thank you, Nikki. Um, she found our FODMAP episode um, really, really helpful and, um, and yeah, hopefully now is going to look more into that, uh, which is, is fantastic. And I think, yeah, sometimes um, we kind of, yeah, we kind of sit on things a bit and, um and then we kind of, I guess, sometimes it's just like when things get really bad, um, then that's when we start to, yeah, make the changes. So, um, yeah, hopefully the episode that we went and we spoke about FODMAPs, that that's kind of helped to give us some direction in, in that. Uh, and she was also just asking about, I guess, um, you know, good resources or cookbooks. Uh, and so for any other listeners that are potentially looking at um, into FODMAPs, uh, I'd highly recommend um, if you go to the resources that the Monash um, FODMAP um, group uh, develop, there's, they have a really fantastic online app that you can use and it's um, like a, a full database so you can search all the different foods and it's really easy to understand based on a traffic light system. Um, but it also has a huge range of recipes and then it's written like a book as well. So it actually explains everything about FODMAPs. Um, and then if you're wanting to go a bit more into the sports nutrition side of it and maybe have a look at, you know, different types of gels or recipes that might be more appropriate for your training, um, the group at Monash, um, Alan at, at BASE, um, we all um, helped contribute to a, um, a recipe book there led by Ricardo Costa. Mm. Um, so, yeah, they can check that out as well and we can even potentially put that up on, on social media for people. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, and that's available as a, an e-book. So if anyone else has any feedback or questions that they'd like answered on the podcast, you can always contact us just like Nikki Hellyer did on um, social media. So Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Long Munch. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We are speaking to uh, Katrina, who's a, um, a very successful uh, elite level runner. Um, but Alan, I'll, I'll let you do the intro on this one. 
Yep, sure. So, yeah, Katrina Bissett, as we said, is an 800-meter runner. Um, we'll talk a little bit about, I guess, she sort of came into the sport out again and then back in at sort of at a later age at the elite level. Um, so she's only been back in the sport for a few short years. So her sort of, I guess, her rise to, you know, Olympic selection is, is a pretty rapid one. Um, so just to, to put some context into that, uh, I think she came back into the sport I think it was around 2017, 2018, something like that. And in 2019, she actually broke the Australian record for the women's 400, uh, sorry, the women's 800 metres. Uh, and that record had stood for 43 years. So that's a, a pretty amazing achievement to, to see her knock that off. Um, and then broke her own record again uh, this year with a, a 158.09 for 800 metres, which is pretty damn quick. Um, and that's uh, amongst other results um, cemented Katrina's place for the Australian Olympic team for Tokyo 2020, obviously in 2021. Uh, and so she went over there with the team and, and raced the 800. Uh, and then since then, she, she went back to Europe and, and raced also in the Diamond League final over in Zurich. Um, so yeah, it's been a, a bit of a whirlwind for Katrina over the last few years uh, and this season in particular. Uh, and so we'll have a, a chat to her about that. Um, but also, I guess the main reason that we're speaking to Katrina is that um, as she got back into athletics, she was already uh, following a vegan diet. Uh, and so she's um, had some cons consultation uh, with sports dietitians around, I guess, her diet and um, making sure her vegan diet was, was suitable for her training. Um, and so I guess we'll have a chat to her about how that played out for her. Um, and she's got some really great, I think, practical sort of tips and tricks and um, a really good perspective on it, I think, as well. Um, very similar to, you know, Greg Cox that we had last week. Uh, not a sort of, you know, everyone has to go vegan, but more so, you know, very pragmatic look at it, um, but also acknowledging that there's some um, positives, uh, potential negatives that you have to look out for as well. So we'll have a, a chat through all of that in today's episode. Yeah, yep. And she's, um, yeah, uh she talks about some really good, useful resources as well. So, um, yeah, that's one to, yeah, definitely look out for when you're listening to this episode. So um, let's get stuck into it. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Katrina Bissett, welcome to The Long Munch. How are you going? Good, thank you. Yeah, a lot better now that I'm back home out of quarantine. Um <laughs> being able to go outside and back running again. So, yeah, I'm doing really well. Yeah, awesome. And we're just talking off air, you know, it's good to be home. But even, you know, when you're in the, the Olympic Village in Tokyo, having been in Europe for a while, seeing, you know, Australian products and Australian brands and talking to a lot more people with Australian accents would have uh, felt a bit more that way inclined as well. Yeah, it's amazing how food makes you feel at home. Like, you wouldn't think it was so... Um, yeah, it wouldn't make you think that you feel so emotionally connected to the food, but yeah, having all, having access to Australian brands and that sort of thing in Tokyo um, was really nice. Um, I felt like there was a little piece of Australia <laughs> in the Olympic Village. Um, but yeah, even just being back in Australia, um, even when I was in hotel quarantine and having access to all the brands that I'm used to and like ordering Coles, and that sort of thing, like it really felt like I was back home <laughs> and mm. back into my routine. Because, yeah, so much of it I feel like is that routine. It's like I'm buying all of the products that and eating all of the things that I eat every day. Um, it was it was very comforting 
yeah mm, yeah cool and was it was it hard to get a flight home like i know like for example a couple of the mountain bike guys who were in tokyo then went back to europe uh, as you did after the games for some more competition uh, and they're actually struggling they just had their flights cancelled and they're struggling to get back to australia now yeah yeah it was really really hard um i had i had planned to go to europe post um tokyo so i had already bought my return flights um back in may but they were cancelled two weeks um before i was scheduled to leave so then i had to um desperately call athletics australia and get them to um help me book another flight and yeah ended up ended up getting an extremely expensive i think it was about six thousand dollars um i to get home and it was like via singapore as well um and i had to do a 24-hour layover in singapore and um, and and that was like super uh like strict COVID protocols in, in singapore airport and um so we were sort of like had to walk single file through the airport and things like that in like tiny yep. groups and um yeah and then and then into hotel quarantine where you had to pay another three thousand dollars so it was it was um <laughs> it was tough it but it's just everyone was in the same boat like it's just what you have to do as an Australian athlete if you're racing internationally at the moment yeah. um, everyone's everyone's dealing with the same thing yeah yeah, exactly right. And I saw the other day, I think some people are getting a repatriation flight from um, Argentina and it's flying over the South Pole to get back to Australia, to Darwin, because that's actually the most direct way around the globe. And we're just, you know, we had a few of our recent episodes where people said on their bucket list was to go to Antarctica and these guys get to fly over. But anyway, um, so you've obviously had, you know, quite the the last 12 months, Katrina, Um you know, you've, in this season that's just finished, uh, you, you know, you broke your own 800-metre national record. Uh, you obviously, you know, made the team for Tokyo and then competed over there at the Olympics. And then, you know, you had the Diamond League final in, in Zurich. Um, but I guess when you had that hotel quarantine time, a couple of weeks with not much to do, I guess it gave you a bit of reflection time. What did you sort of make of the year that was or, or maybe even the, the Olympic cycle it was, given that sort of come to a conclusion now? Yeah, it was definitely a huge year for me. I think it, because this was my first year doing the full European circuit. So technically this is my um, first year as a professional. So I became professional in 2019 when I made my first um, World Champs team. Um, but I only did that sort of mid-year and that was quite unexpected and um yeah I was just sort of I did I think two races overseas and I didn't do any of the European circuit or or any of that sort of thing um and then and then I was really badly injured for my world champs so I didn't really have a proper um build up into that either so um I was really looking forward to 2020 <laughs> um after having had a little bit of a taste but not really going that well but um feeling like I was ready to be a professional and do my job um but yeah obviously 2020 was was uh a, not a very um busy year for, for athletes so got to have quite a long run up I suppose into 2021 um 
And um, yeah, I decided to travel before the games, which was um, only if only I think maybe 25% of, of the track athletes um, did that. Um, and I, I just wanted to get a bit of international racing experience before um, before the Olympics. And um, yeah, and so I had a, a, a lot of quite good races before then. Um, was very disappointed with my um, Olympics. Uh, yeah, my Olympics debut. I it didn't pass um, the first round, um, which was yeah really surprising for me because I had been racing really well in Europe beforehand. Like you say, like I broke my own national record and I was ranked quite high in the world. Um, yeah, and and just seemed to just you know, it just did not come together on the day. Um, and I'd done a, done a lot of reflecting on that experience. It was, it was quite traumatic, I think. Um, I have been a little bit hesitant to actually go on podcasts um, post-Olympics because it was such a huge disappointment and I think a very, um, yeah, very big and brutal learning curve. Um, I think particularly one of the things I particularly noticed was a lot of my like friends and family, like they don't really know what I do. Um, Mm. And their first sort of experience of seeing me is watching the Olympics and then seeing me run really poorly and not pass the first round. So I found that was probably surprisingly hard is knowing that a lot of my friends um, that's the only time they've seen me run and it wasn't one of my my best races. Um, but I think, I, yeah, on, on the other side of that, I have learned a lot and I've made some big decisions about um, how seriously I want to take running and where I want to go. And um, I ended up changing um, coaches um, after, after that race. And, yeah, I, I was very much tossing up whether I would actually keep running in Europe or come straight home with the rest of the team Um, and I ended up deciding to go to Europe and um, even though it cost me like um, (laughs) $9,000 I think it was definitely worth it in terms of yeah being away from my sort of comfort zone and what I was used to and being able to reflect on the Olympics and my season and sort of play around a little bit with comps and races um without having the olympics sort of hanging over me um yeah and, and the zurich diamond league final was probably the most fun i'd had in a race um it was like i mean it's one of those things that i watched like year after year um and it was like man that'd be so cool if i could um compete in that event and um so that was really really cool and and in a lot of ways, it was a better atmosphere to the Olympics as well because it was a full stadium. Uh, they had fireworks. They had like a musical performance. <laughs> like um, you could bring beer into the stadium, and like <laughs> so after my race, I like spent some like I was in the stands with some other Australians, and yeah, we watched this like there's like a parade for all the winners at the end. They get driven around the track. Um, on in these four-wheel drives like sitting on the back holding their little diamond statues <laughs> just sitting there with a beer with the Australians um with all the fireworks going off um so yeah it was a it was a really really productive year um 
and I think I've really grown up like I feel like I've um I've yeah I feel a lot more confident in what I'm doing and yeah even though I was really disappointed with the Olympics um there was I I think I'm a much much better athlete um having gone through the year I've had Mm. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned just before that, you know, you sort of came into, you know, running at, at this level quite late on. Um, now, I think from memory, you sort of started off and did sort of the traditional sort of little ass path, moved away from athletics and then back only in the last sort of few years. Is that is that right? Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, I always joke around that, like, I've done this whole running thing in the wrong order. <laughs> so I did... I did little A's. Um, so in primary high school, I was a very keen runner. Um, and I do a lot of running with my dad. He was a he did a lot of like fun rounds and longer distance running. Um and um and yeah, I was really I had a bit of success in sort of early high school. Um and then yeah, and then sort of had a lot of trouble with an eating disorder, um, which I think is quite common. Yeah, which is very common for young athletes, young female athletes in particular. Um, and so, and especially during that sort of when your body's changing and growing and um, you have all the pressures of being in adolescence <laughs> outside of that as well. Mm. Um, so I really took a step back from from the running, um, partly because it was just very stressful and, and also just my running suffered a lot because of um, underfueling and... Um, all those sorts of things that come with with um, with those sort of mental health struggles. So I stepped away for a really long time, and then when I I finished my so I did a bachelor's in architectural studies in in Sydney. Um, so I, I I grew up in Canberra, moved to Sydney for my for uni, uh, and then I worked for a couple of years post bachelor's um, in architecture. And, and yeah, during that time, like I was sort of still running recreationally during this whole time, like I never totally stopped um, running, you know, a few times a week, that sort of thing. Um, But when I was working full time, I started training a bit more seriously, because I had a lot more uh, free time after work, like I could, I had a lot more routine. Um, Yeah, and, and I just sort of caught the the bug again like I don't know I just sort of I don't know I I I really fell in love with it again and so as an adult um I had enough distance and I had you know seen psychologists and I'd worked really hard on um on myself and my sort of management uh emotional management and that sort of thing so I was in a really good place to start um training again and yeah I really fell in love with it again and uh, yeah, I had no expectations about where I might take it. It was just seemed like I was um, returning to my to my old hobby. Um, and then, yeah, I had, had a bit of success uh, in Sydney and then moved to Melbourne uh, about five years ago to do my master's in architecture at Melbourne Uni and moved to a different training group um, which was slightly higher level. Yeah, and then sort of I uh, kept slowly increasing uh, my training load and um, started doing gym work and 
yeah, in 2019, I had my breakout season and um, ran the national record. And yeah, um, stuff, yeah, we've already sort of talked about before that that first year where it just sort of, yeah, caught me by surprise a little bit, um, um, qualifying for world champs and yeah, becoming professional when I, I really didn't think it was that likely that that would happen um, much later. So I, I was 25 uh, in 2019. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and I guess that sort of leads into my, my next question, because obviously the topic today is around sort of plant-based diets and, and you know, um, vegan diets. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's certainly the case for you. But I'm interested in that sort of timeline of events. Were you sort of eating a vegan diet before you started training really seriously? Were you already training and then decided to switch to a vegan diet? How did that kind of play out for you? Not yeah. So I was vegetarian. I before I went vegan I was vegetarian um I think I can't remember the exact time but it was when I was still um at uni so it was at towards the end of my um bachelor's so um a couple years before um I yeah uh, before I started work and before I started running again um so I went vegan a couple years after after that um so so I was, yeah, I was vegan before I started training um, again. And, um, yeah, so it was, yeah, it was definitely completely separate from, from, from the athletics. Yeah, cool. And so did you find, like, when you started training and, and being around a lot of other athletes again, did you find many others that were sort of following a vegetarian or particularly a vegan diet? Yeah, well, actually, one of the athletes, Morgan Mitchell, she's a 400-meter runner, um, Australian 400-meter runner. Well, she's she's now in the 800s, so she's actually one of my competitors. But um, in 2016, the Rio Olympics, she was competing, and um, I I think I'd just gone vegan around that time, and she was uh, talking about being a vegan athlete, and um, I was a big fan of hers. And I think, yeah, and seeing her... Um, you know, being so successful, um, I think really cemented in my mind that um, you can definitely do, you can definitely do both. You can be an athlete mm. and, and and be vegan. And yeah, and, and since traveling a bit and um, um, yeah, meeting quite a few athletes now, there's, yeah, there's definitely quite a few. I'm one of my good friends, Eleanor Patterson. So she's a high jumper she um she's also vegan and gluten-free so that's a whole other um thing as well um and yeah and there was a few people I've met on the circuit um who are vegan too I I remember having a good conversation with um uh Mahambo who's a, a German uh, uh long jumper who's actually yeah the current Olympic and world champion in, in the long jump. So she's um, also vegan and gluten-free. And um, she and I actually got into a conversation in the dining hall, I think, at um, the Oslo Diamond League um, because there wasn't any vegan options at the, at the hotel. Um, and we were both like, why like, why not? Like there are, so, there are so many vegan athletes and, I mean, like an Olympic world champion as well. Like, and mm. they have um catered for them so I think yeah I think uh that yeah there, there's a lot there's a lot of them um um I think on the Australian team I counted maybe like half a dozen and 
I think there was maybe 63 athletes altogether for the Australian track and field team. So there's definitely yeah, a significant percentage um, of, yeah. of, of vegans. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and obviously, you know, people choose to follow a vegan diet for all sorts of different reasons. It could be taste preferences, cultural, religious, animal welfare, environmental reasons. Was there anything particular for you that sort of made you head down that path? Mine was definitely um, the environmental reasons. Um, so, yeah, initially going vegetarian, that was for uh, trying to reduce my carbon footprint. Um, and and then veganism was just sort of seemed the natural progression of that, like trying to stay away from the um, sort of, yeah, animal product sort of industry. I, but yeah, from since then, it's, it's sort of evolved a little bit as well um, around animal welfare and um, yeah, very um, anti uh, factory farming and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, so it, yeah, my, my reasons were much more in the sort of um, environment and animal welfare. And when you first decided to go vegan, how, how did you go about it? Did you kind of spend some time doing your research into it, um, get help from other people or just kind of dive straight into it? I mean, obviously you went from vegetarian to vegan, but, but to make, I guess, that jump from vegetarian to vegan. Um, I definitely didn't do it very smart the first. Well, I sort of think of it, so I went, vegan sort of in that first step um when I wasn't an athlete and then I feel like I, I went vegan properly um maybe in 20 in, in 2019 where, where I still finally saw a dietitian and, and and that sort of thing but in that sort of first transition um yeah I didn't do very I didn't I didn't do a whole lot of research my my partner we went vegan at the same time he did a little bit more sort of research online around you know um, vitamin B12 and um, getting those sorts of uh, extra supplements and that sort of thing that I knew um, you couldn't get from um, a purely vegan diet. Um, but yeah, I and we did it really gradually as well. Like I remember times where I would buy a whole lot of cheese and then I'd come home and be like, oh, we're supposed to be vegan. <laughs> like it would just be, it was it was a definitely a really casual sort of transition to start off with. Um, um, but yeah, when I, when I, in, so in, in 2019, when I moved to, when, in 2017, sorry, when I moved to um, Melbourne, I had an issue where I was uh, really badly iron deficient. Um, so I had a bit of trouble with, uh, with my training and I couldn't figure out what was going on. So I got a blood test and iron deficiency has been something I've struggled with since I was like a little kid, basically, like even well before I went vegetarian or vegan, I've had trouble with iron. Um, so, yeah, this wasn't particularly surprising that something like this happened. But um, at that stage, I was taking the running a little bit more seriously. And I, um, yeah, I thought to myself, like, I've really got to sort this out or I'm going to have a lot of trouble um, being an athlete and, and doing what I want to do. So I um, got an iron infusion and started seeing as, yeah, saw a sports diet, saw a dietitian for the first time um, uh, to figure out my 
uh, yeah, how to how to support my um, my training with a vegan diet, and that was huge for me. Like I I didn't realize that I was really under eating in in terms of carbs. Um, like I was eating a lot of fats, like nuts and seeds and that sort of thing. Um, I wasn't having enough carbs for the amount of training that I was doing, sort of endurance training that I was doing. Um, yeah, and then started taking iron supplements um, and, and yeah, sort of I really had a good overhaul of my, my entire diet um, and have been working with dietitians since, yeah. Yeah. And so um, how did you actually find it affect your training and recovery? Like you said, you know, you, you kind of noticed that something was off. Um, but what was that sort of feeling? What were you noticing in your training? I just felt like um, I couldn't finish a training session. Like the first few reps of a, of a session, I'd be fine, but I just got tired really fast. And I know that was, yeah, so that was the iron in particular was really getting to be a problem. Um, yeah, and I found once I had changed uh, to eating more carbs, having more, um, yeah, just, yeah, more protein, all, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I could just uh, finish training sessions a lot stronger and um, just had a lot more energy. <laughs> like I... I was feeling where before I um, figured out that it was the iron, I was actually concerned about my mental health because I was just so tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, has spoken to my my psychologist about it, thinking that something might be going wrong. Um, and so yeah, I just had a lot more energy. My mood was a lot better. Um, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like yeah, there were there were kind of like a number of things like it was your energy intake you kind of needed to bump up then it was your iron and then also the the carbs and the proteins so um yeah um and so um what about for those that eat a vegan diet or are considering it any tips or tricks for them in terms of making sure they are getting enough say protein iron and even calcium as an example like what were the changes how did you kind of make those changes um, in your diet? Um, well, I think the biggest one was to see a dietitian. <laughs> I uh, think, well done. <laughs> yeah, see one as soon as you can. Like, I think it's it was one of those things where it's like I don't have a degree in dietetics or anything like that. Like, I felt like I was getting so much information from like Instagram from you know like really bad like lifestyle blogging kind of stuff and it's like I feel like food's one of these things where you're like oh I know how to eat like I'll be fine (laughs) it's like no you don't you really don't when you're trying to (laughs) trying to be an elite athlete um and it's I find it is actually I think really interesting a lot of athletes who have gone vegan they see a lot of benefits, but a lot of it is just that they've had to learn to eat again kind of thing. They've had to really consciously change their diet and work with a specialist um, to, yeah, to totally reassess everything that they've been doing because they have, yeah, everyone has 
you know, things that they're used to that they've like habits that they've had since they were a little kid, what their parents um, gave them, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, it's um, having to really work hard and be conscientious um, is, is, yeah, was, was really good. In terms of like tips and tricks, um, definitely like having that sort of high protein, like calcium fortified soy milk. I like, I definitely have a lot of that. Um, so I have like a oatmeal every morning. So I get, um, a lot of soy milk with my oats and, um, yeah. And, and I, I find, yeah, the soy, I mean, I feel like it's a lot more nutritionally dense than a lot of the other plant milks, like all the plant milks aren't made equally. (laughs) Um, and, um, um, yeah, and I think as well, having a few really good recipes that I know tick all the right boxes. Like I do a lot of, um, so my background is Chinese. So I sort of adapted a few of the recipes that I was cooking before, um, sort of like a lot of the tofu dishes um, and just having those really, really being just super efficient with making those. And, and so when I get home from training, I don't really have to think about it and I'll just make them. Um, I think also just like packing heaps of snacks in my bag has been really handy because like when you're vegan, like especially when you're traveling and that sort of thing, it's really hard to just get good snacks. And so you kind of sometimes you get stranded or like training's over and you go to a cafe and there's nothing for you there or you you can only have toast or something and (laughs) it's just... Um, not really a very good recovery food just having like a protein shake and that sort of stuff in your bag um, has been really really good for my recovery and that sort of thing yeah yeah did you find that you had to kind of eat more of like certain foods so say like with tofu like did you find that you weren't actually consuming that much to potentially get the amount of protein that you then learned that you perhaps should be trying to get yeah, I think so. And I think particularly at restaurants as well, like because my partner and I were both vegan and we'll always get like the tofu curry or something like that. We'll always be um, like, what? There's like three cubes. Like we always like it. Yeah, it's it's funny, like the serving, like the portions um, where where you really have to bump it up um, when you're an athlete. Yeah, to get to get the right protein um, intake. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and how have you found that you're going with your iron now like you know you said it, it's kind of always been an issue um do you find that you still kind of need to get those regular checkups and potentially have an infusion or have you been able to kind of um, make some changes and um and not need to I've been really um diligent with yeah getting that sort of at least sort of three times a year blood test Mm -hmm. um so since that in 2017 when I had that real like yeah wake up call about like I couldn't believe I'd let my iron drop that far when I knew I had a problem with iron deficiency anyway and so I've been I've been very very good um with getting uh, very regular blood tests um so I haven't had any issues with it since because um, I've been taking regular iron supplements. Um, And 
yeah, I've just been checking up on it. And if it's sort of maybe trending a little bit down, then I'll be like, oh, yeah, I haven't actually been as good as I have been with taking the iron. So I'll just, yeah, just sort of check myself there. And, um, yeah, I, I haven't had any issues really because uh, I've been, yeah, <laughs> having to report <laughs> my my blood test to somebody. <laughs> so I have to be accountable. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, and do you do you use any particular um, supplements now to, to meet your needs apart from obviously the iron supplement? Do you take something like, I think you said your partner takes B12 or, um, yeah, do you take any particular supplements apart from, from that one? Yeah, well, I, I work with the um, uh, Jess Rothwell at the Victorian Institute of Sport. So, so she and I, we've worked out a bit of a supplement plan. Um so I'll have my protein shakes um, and with some creatine as well. Um, and I, yeah, during season, I'll have beta alanine as well, um, sort of leading into my major competitions. Um, and then with like B12 and calcium, that sort of thing, I, I really just get that from food. So like calcium fortified um, soy milk, um, the B12, just sort of getting that from the nutritional yeast um, flakes and that sort of thing. And yeah, I've never had any um, issues on my blood tests with, with B12 deficiency or anything like that. Um, um, I, yeah, and I also take a, just a multivitamin um every day as well yeah yeah I think that's everything yeah I have to remember all of these for when I get drug tested <laughs> so I'm pretty good at um say, telling them all yeah yeah and um so I guess looking back at, at what you know now about you know um eating a vegan uh diet what's something you kind of wished you knew before starting out um that you know, consuming um, that way of eating? Um, I think, uh, yeah, the dietitian thing I think would have really, really helped me when I first went went vegan. Um, and, and I guess a lot, that sort of piece sort of talks a bit about, um, yeah, yeah, just just like I, I think there's a little, there was there was a lot of hesitation that I had because I didn't think I was maybe good enough as a runner to sort of justify talking to somebody or, um, and I hear that a lot with other athletes as well. I sort of have to convince them that it doesn't matter what level they're at. You can see a sports dietitian and it will be beneficial. Um, I think um, as well, sort of not trying to replace meat with just meat substitutes. So if I have like a, a dish that I really like, you know, like a, I don't know if I want to like chicken schnitzel or, you know, something like that. I, I, yeah, trying to stay away from that sort of the meat substitutes and actually just learn new recipes because there are just so many mm. great like vegan recipes, like, you know, like especially from Asian um, cultures, like Indian recipes, Korean, Chinese, like, there's just so many um, amazing vegan recipes, like, and I feel like I've really had a lot of fun, like, learning them and, like, cooking has always been, like, a passion of mine and 
um so it's just like a new challenge with just like different parameters kind of thing I think yeah I think um I wish I'd sort of gotten on board with that a bit earlier yeah and do you do you have any kind of recommended I don't know sites that you go to with those recipes I I don't actually use a lot of websites I have a lot of cookbooks um that I use I so one of the ones I'm really into at the moment I think it's called vegan Japanesey it's um a really beautifully graphic designed graphically designed um book it's quite recent I'll just go get it I'll go get it oh wait no I'll just look it up I'll look it up on my computer it'll be faster (laughs) than going to the other room um but it's really it's a really good one it's just like a lot of um yeah uh traditional Japanese foods um that are already vegan um or sort of altered slightly to change the protein so yeah like like more tofu rather than fish or something like that um yeah so it's called vegan Japanesey it's by Tim Anderson who I think is Australian um yeah and it's just like so beautifully designed (laughs) I'm going to show you this book it's just very beautiful um but um that's sort of what I mean. I like Hetty McKinnon. She's a Australian, um, Asian Australian uh, cook author as well. She's vegetarian, um, but a lot of her, I'd say maybe eighty percent of her dishes are vegan, or they can be made vegan. Um, and that's like, she's so good because it's like really they're 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 very much like just like amazing salads kind of thing. So it's sort of like really celebrating vegetables um sort of not having them as like a side dish like really showing how great they are as a main um yeah I'd say those are the two that I'm I'm really um obsessed with at the moment yeah and do you think that um you need to be like a a really good cook to to be able to follow a a vegan diet or it's something you know you can kind of learn as you go and it's not really that hard like once you get some cookbooks you know you kind of learn as you go yeah I think it is pretty easy especially if you got a got some good cookbooks as well like it's it's still the same like formula you know like you have your protein you have your carbs and your and your veggies and that sort of thing like it's the same like set of parts it's just like yeah you're just figuring out how to make it taste good <laughs> like having like trying out different sauce combinations and um yeah and it's kind of fun too like kind of like I, I think it's like fun learning a new sort of cooking style like especially if you don't have a choice as well like you really got to <laughs> you got to get invested into it yeah um and did you find, um, so something a bit different, did you find when you you kind of first went um, into even vegetarian or vegan eating with your running, did you experience any increasing gut symptoms or anything or were you, were you okay with that? Because I'm just thinking some people might just because of the extra amount of, you know, certain components in the food and fibre and stuff or were you pretty pretty much okay? Well, I think because I was vegan before, and the running sort of came after. I don't yeah. really have much comparison there. I think yeah. I've, I've definitely had some problems in the past, like having really high fiber, like lunch before a big training session in the evening, like 
I'd have a lot of bloating and gas and it would just be really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, since sort of, yeah, working with dietitians and sort of figuring out that I need to um, keep it much more, you know, stomach friendly pre um, race or, or big training sessions. So like, yeah, having sort of like, like simple carbs, like white rice and like um, some tofu and um, not too many veggies and that sort of thing. Um, I've been, yeah, I've been, been able to manage it really well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So just to kind of, I guess, wrap this up, this discussion around vegan diets, it sounds like, you know, some of the adjustments you had to make at the start for your running were not necessarily adjustments because your diet was vegan. They were more adjustments in terms of sort of sports nutrition and and adequately fueling and um, fueling the training and then setting Mm -hmm. up the recovery side of it rather than necessarily working your way around, you know, not eating certain foods. Uh, And I think another thing you said that, that, um we spoke about with um greg cox last week too was you know he made the point that you know vegetarian and vegan diet we kind of think it's like this weird diet from another planet but really the difference for a lot of people is only about six or seven different foods and probably the biggest difference actually as you said when people go vegan is the fact that they improve the diet quality which could be improved regardless of whether you're vegan or not um it's just sort of the that overall you know having more fruit and veggies and, and that sort of thing and less processed foods because i know i've met plenty of vegan people following a vegan diet that that they've their diet's not great it's full of you know processed food and and junk um so yeah diet quality is diet quality no matter what you do or don't include mm. um yeah 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 exactly yeah that summarizes it well Alan is a really good summariser. <laughs> I can't help myself. Summarise my thesis in about six or seven months' time. <laughs> yeah, excellent. I'm going to write your conclusion for you, Steph. Yes, yes, please. Okay. <laughs> Someone I, um, I met, a participant doing my study, actually told me that she never does conclusions because she's like, if you've read what I've written, you shouldn't need me to summarise. Like, you should already not. So reckon maybe- the, the readers are just lazy? <laughs> yeah, I just go straight to the conclusion and then <laughs> get, get, to, get the juicy bits. Yeah. Well, let's go into our bonus round now to finish off, Katrina. So this is where we find out a little bit more about you outside of running and, and vegan eating. So I guess the first thing is, obviously, you know, you, you've got, the architecture side of things you've got the running side of things uh but if you could wind the clock back 10 years and start again and do something completely different what do you reckon you'd do i think um i would do something uh with my hands like do something in in a, like do a craft or a trade i think um it's been interesting sort of pivoting my career from architecture into sport but i think i realize that I just really like using my body um and I think I think even post uh, this running career I might go into um doing carpentry or something in the in sort of the architectural world but um in the very hands-on side so getting into into building and um I've always wanted to make like tapestries and rugs and and that sort of stuff because I I did like a lot of art in in high school and yeah I I always been drawing since I was a little kid 
Um, and so that's sort of how I went into architecture, but it's like, I didn't realize how much architecture was sitting at a computer and, and clicking a mouse and drawing lines on a screen. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's like, I actually want to be out there, like building the thing. And, um, yeah, so probably something like that, like carpentry or just being an artist, I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah awesome. Okay. Um, your favorite non-competition moment from the Olympics? I think the most powerful moment for me was when I was watching Peter Bowl run the 800 meter final. Um, and I know him quite well. So he and I are both from Melbourne and we're obviously both 800 meter runners. And he, oh yeah, I was watching the race um, from the village and they, on the Channel 7, um, coverage they showed his family back in Perth like his giant Sudanese family mm. like I think they had like a good like 50 people crammed into a one like one room <laughs> like the living room it was just like yeah just this wall of human beings like watching this tv screen and yeah I, I was already feeling very emotional because I knew him and I mean I was very emotional at that point because I had um had a disappointing race and was just yeah emotions running very high and as soon as I showed his family I just remember bursting into tears just absolutely like so like loud sobbing watching this race um just with all the other Australians watching it in the village and um yeah, I probably yeah, just just cried very very ugly and and, and loudly watching it. I was just so proud of him, I think. Um yeah, and then the other moment was watching the um the 400 meter women's hurdles world record. Um I'm just a big fan of the of the four hurdles and yeah. That was really really cool as well. That was one of the ones where you could actually go into the stadium and and then have a have a look. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Um, is there a different, completely different sport that you've always wanted to try but never had the chance? I I don't know. It's a completely different sport. I know within athletics, I've always wanted to do four hurdles because I'm completely obsessed with all the four, four hurdlers. Um, maybe tennis if I but maybe I'm just saying that because of the money <laughs> um you're not the first one yeah <laughs> yeah I don't know maybe rock climbing skateboarding I'm gonna say skateboarding yeah yeah I wish I was I, I want to do that I think I'd be really bad at it but I, wish I, could, <laughs> I want to do skateboarding <laughs> yeah fair enough we've had a few people that have been taken with with either that or sport climbing being the sort of the two new Olympic events. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, one thing that you have to take with you when you're traveling for competition. I always take my AeroPress, um, my little portable AeroPress <laughs> coffee with making thing. Um, because Don't worry, that's about what 80% of people say when we ask that question. Yeah, I mean, because we're Australian and we're obsessed with coffee and we have such a high standard, just the rest of the world are really bad at making coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, and especially because, like, I use it as, like, a pre-race, you know, performance-enhancing drug kind of thing. Mm. Um, it's very important 
I think, yeah, besides that, I mean, my noise cancelling headphones, just for the amount of planes that I have to be on. And then just like sleeping pills. I'd say those are probably my, my trifecta of, <laughs> um, of uh, essentials. You got the wake up, go to sleep. I know, I yeah. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. Well, you're in good company. I think pretty much every second person we ask that question has the same answer. Uh, mm-hmm. Ellie Pashley had that answer. Mm-hmm. Ed Bryant had that answer. Uh, Alistair Donohoe had that answer. I can't remember who else Steph is. Scotty, uh, yeah, Scotty Hawker. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> Runner. Um, yeah, yeah, some researchers. I think every, yeah, everyone. And yeah, it's caffeine is, it, it's crazy. Like um, for, for one of, well, for my studies, you know, they have to have just um, 24 hours, right, without, without coffee. And it kills my participants. Like they... <laughs> And I, like one particular one I have, he asked me every 10 minutes, can I have a coffee yet, Steph? Can I have a coffee? Can I have a coffee? And it's, yeah, it's, it just blows my mind. Like I know, yeah, it's, it's popular, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, really, really uh, powerful stuff. All right. Final question. Do you live by any piece of advice or motto? I don't really. I I um I think it sort of changes changes a bit sort of year on year sort of where I'm at in my running and life I suppose. Um, the only sorts of like advice that I can really re- remember and that sort of um, stay with me are the sort of things that my mum would tell me growing up, like. Um, particularly about like reading like reading is knowledge like reading is power it doesn't matter what it is like I used to read a lot and I would always have that idea in my head that um, the more I read like the more powerful I was getting kind of thing like um, like I mean it's a very kid's way of thinking about it but I still sort of feel like that Um, on the same sort of sort of thing like my mum is very much about keeping my feet protected and my feet warm it sounds really silly but I feel like that's been something that I think about a bit too like yeah just protecting my feet I think as like a runner um there's been times where I have been really stupid and have like walked barefoot and hurt myself or I've like slipped or, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it's one of those annoying things that my mum would be like, you have to wear slippers in the house. Like, you can't walk on the lawn without, she's like, where are your shoes? <laughs> like, um, like, she would, like, do this thing. Like, it was a very Chinese thing where you would um, put your feet in, like, a tub of hot water before you go to bed. Um, so your feet would be really, really warm in winter. And, yeah, just that sort of thing of really looking after my feet. <laughs> so yeah nothing yeah. super spiritual just very sort of practical things that I feel yeah. like I could probably make a metaphor out of but I I can't really think about that right now <laughs> fair enough yeah I, I wish my kids would listen to that actually because they always walk around in bare feet in the middle of winter I'm like are you freezing and like no, no I'm not. <laughs> okay each to their own all right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Katrina. Great to hear about your year and, and also about the, the vegan diet side of things and some real practical stuff in there about what people need to, to think about. 
um, and maybe some of the things that they don't need to, to worry so much about as well. So, yeah, thanks so much for your time and uh, enjoy this downtime period before you get back into training again. Yes, thank you. No, thanks so much. Yeah, I, I really love talking about the vegan diet with the athletics. Just, I think, especially if you have like these more ideological things that you're passionate about, you know, just like helping the environment and that sort of thing. Like you don't have to compromise on your values, on your beliefs, like to be a high performing athlete as well. Like I feel like that's something I encounter a lot with athletes where they're like, oh, I can't, you know, I can't, you know, be vegan because it'll affect my training or like, but even though I want to protect the environment and, and, you know, um, be an advocate for animal rights and that sort of thing. And it's like, if you do it smart, like you can do it well um, and you can still, yeah, be ethical and, and live by your values. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. That was so good. Um, yeah, great from, from both um, Greg and, and Katrina. Uh, yeah, they combined um, what they were saying really well together. Uh, and just really nice, sensible, um, practical information. Um, and, yeah, like there's not – I really like how um, they both sort of talked about it and Greg talked about it in terms of like when you think about it, it's not a huge difference in terms of when we're following plant-based um, diet. Like there's a few things that we're not eating, um, but it's not like we're kind of, you know, enemies against each other. Um, and um and then also um with Katrina just about it's when you're when you're consuming a plant-based diet um there's so many wonderful ways that you can like present food and make food taste good yeah um, definitely and yeah so anyway um really really useful uh so thank you to both of them we have a really exciting topic um next next session and um i know it's something that alan you and i get asked asked often um we got asked via facebook i think it was or instagram about six months ago for this topic and we've been sitting on it for that time because we've been waiting for the olympics to be over because our guest next week has been in the thick of organizing all the food for the australian team for the olympics Exactly, exactly. And so I'll let you introduce the topic, Al. Yeah, so next week it'll be episode 23A. Our topic is, does leaner equal faster? And that was a special request from Lionel, uh, who's a a runner, Um, as I said, quite some time ago. And our guest is Associate Professor Gary Slater, um, who has two roles. He's a a lecturer at the University of the Sunshine Coast, um, up on the Sunshine Coast, obviously. Um, But he also is the National Nutrition Network lead, I think is the official title, through the Australian Institute of Sport. Um, And so he coordinates sort of the the workings of, of sports nutrition throughout the sort of the state um, the National and State Institute of Sport Network and Academy of Sport Network. So um, that was obviously where his involvement with the Olympic Games came in. And uh, so he's been pretty busy with that. But his particular research expertise uh, and his real interest in terms of uh, the academic side of his work is around this area of body composition. And he's looked at that across you know several different types of sports. 
over the years, um, but he's also an expert on body composition measurement and monitoring. And so we'll get into that a little bit, uh, but obviously keep the focus more around the, the relationship between body composition and performance. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, people can also then get to hear a little bit about uh, his experience um, as well at the at the Olympics. So um, yeah, that was really interesting to hear and the long days that were that were spent with all of them. Um, mm. So yeah, otherwise, uh, if um, anyone has any questions, please uh, contact us on our social media. We would absolutely love to hear from you. No question is a silly question. Um, so we're on all your popular. Um, social media profiles, Twitter, um, Instagram and Facebook. And then if you would like to hopefully um, keep listening to us, we are on all your popular um, podcast platforms. Mm, absolutely. Okay, well, I think that's us done for today, Steph. Um, so everyone have a great week and we look forward to catching up with you next week with our interview with Gary Slater. Awesome. We'll see you then.